0: Hey, Refi Nation. here with my dear friend, John Ellison. Today, we've got a beautiful episode with Marco Barbosa from Impact Market talking about their human empowerment protocol, all the work that they've done on the ground, reaching people and communities in the most vulnerable parts of the world. Um, they've created this unconditional basic income that is creating some real beautiful economic flows, local markets, creativity, there's a lot that's happening on the ground. Um, And so we dive deep uh, with Marco into some of that, having built on Cello now. John, what do you think of uh, today? And what are some of the things that you're walking away with?
1: Yeah, I'm super excited to see what people think. I feel as though this is one of the greatest examples of using blockchain to solve real-world problems that can't be addressed in other ways. Understanding the challenge of distributing funds to communities all over the world with borders and banks as a barrier. When so many people don't have access to banking services, it just makes sense to have money flow through the internet and for anyone with a smartphone and internet connection to be able to access um you know their kind of on-chain bank account their wallet so to speak and then being able to have an open and transparent financial system that you can understand what is the second and third order effects of my donation. And seeing stories surface from these mobile phones to say, this is what I was able to do, buying books for my education, getting medical treatment, starting a market stall. Like it's it's really visceral to see the impact of small amounts of money, you know. Two, five, ten dollars—like not huge amounts of capital—can make a massive difference in other parts of the world. So, I don't know. I was I was recording with Marco. I was like looking at my setup, my camera, and my microphone. And I was like, man, I could totally <laughs> sell some of this, buy cheaper kit, and like donate money to these communities. And I don't know. It's really making me think more consciously about every decision to buy that I make, and really looking at these alternatives. So, I've been emboldened to give more via this platform and really curious to see where this goes so yeah anything else coming from you before we drop the episode summer
0: no man that all sounds good i think you know every time talking with marco i always feel grateful for how much we have and just how easy it is really to contribute and how much you know even small donations can go a really long way Um, with that we got the episode hope you guys all enjoy
1: Marco, so grateful to finally get a chance to speak with you, my friend. How's it going?
0: Very good. Thank you for having me for the invitation. How are you guys? Doing great. It's lovely to be here. What a time it's been, right? I feel like there's so much, we you know, for all of us, it's been such a crazy past few months and it's cool to just be here. I think we were all at Cello Connect together, so it's fun to see us all coming together here now, you know, what is it, five, six months later? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, that that was a flying visit and I'm super grateful today, especially to have a uh, first day surfing in the sea in Portugal after uh, many months of getting ready for this move. And yeah, I just feel uh, alive and ready to dive into things, Marco. I was mentioning earlier that um, Impact Market was one of the first Web3 experiences I ever had. Um, I remember finding your guys' project very early on, being super excited about it and wanting to donate and that being one of the key drivers that got me onto Valora found out how incredibly easy it was to pick a community donate and really feel like you know I'd made a direct impact Um, so thank you guys for all the hard work you've been doing but for those people who don't know what you're up to I'd love to just hear how you describe what impact market is and then maybe we can shift into the broader problem that you're trying to solve so we can have a little context so how would you describe it to somebody new?
2: Of course um, and glad to hear that uh, you are one of the first participants. Um, we call it uh, a human empowerment protocol uh, that provides uh, or unlocks access to finance and unconditional basic income, or UBI, usually known as universal basic income. We prefer to call it an unconditional basic income, and. Um, and basically, it's a completely open uh, protocol built on top of Celo. It's an application layer protocol uh, that is run by a DAO. And then any uh, local community uh, or vulnerable community uh, that is most of the people are in bankers, where even most of them are don't have an ID and they don't have access to any kind of financial services, and most of them are living in extreme poverty. Uh, so this way, they can act. They can access different financial services. Uh, we have been focused on the unconditional basic income uh, on demand, and I will explain a little bit then uh, after how how everything works. Uh, but now we are expanding to also you know like microcredits, learn and earn, and having like. Um, kind of savings, providing like also other, uh, other mechanisms on DeFi, like uh, staking and kind of going through that process of learning, okay, what other kind of financial mechanisms that anyone in the world, regardless of where they born or where they live, can access to. Um, currently, we are in about thirty developing countries. We are in refugee camps, Brazilian favelas. We are supporting farmers, indigenous communities. Uh, we are in countries like Afghanistan, Togo, Mali, um, Brazil, uh, Venezuela. You know, like uh, Uganda, Nigeria, and several, and uh, also uh, in Philippines and India, and um, also Ukraine. Um, because most of these places now, you know, like it's very traditional finance has a lot of issues. And most of them is the only way for them to access any kind of assets, value or transact value or access to finance. So this protocol aims to become this kind of open financial infrastructure, but and then go beyond financial, also education. Um, Mm. Then that's kind of where we are now.
0: Beautifully said, you know, and I think there's a lot there that we can start to unravel. But, you know, just even starting with that initial distinction, could you just maybe share more about the unconditional nature of the income? You know, there's the universal side, but just share more a little bit about your philosophy around, you know, who's receiving, how it's being received, and what that unconditional piece really means. Yeah,
2: of course. So, uh, when I think about EBI and uh, when we have started was when Andrew Yang was, uh, you know, um, one of the big advocates for that. Um, when you think about universal basic income, it means that any human being, regardless of their background, where they live, and their wealth, should get access to uh, some kinds of a minimum amount of value that allows them to you know, to pay for basic expenses and to live above, let's say, poverty line or some kind of threshold. Um, Universal also includes unconditional and... um, But we we prefer to take the part of the unconditional. The unconditional means that whatever amount you receive, you can spend in whatever you want and no one can tell you like, oh, you," you know, where sometimes like when you make a donation to these vulnerable communities uh, there is some kind of demand from donors oh you have to spend in food or whatever but because there is this kind of notion that we in a developed country think we know best what is what is the best we know Mm -hmm. best that uh, these people should use the money for uh, but actually we don't they know best what is better for them um so the unconditional part is because also we are targeting the most vulnerable communities and the places where the dollar amount makes the biggest difference also versus the, the their local currency. So we are targeting like um, people that um, prefer- preferentially uh, don't have any uh, access to, to finance, live in near or in extreme poverty, and where these communities actually like have been trapped in this uh, poverty cycle uh where like or they live in a conflict zones or you know like there is um, a lot of blockers from the governments or the, the the banks or
0: you
2: know like uh, if you think now about there there are a lot of countries where people cannot even withdraw their money from their bank. So that's why we, because we should focus on the the people that need it the most, that's why we prefer to say unconditional. So it's not for everyone in the world, it's for the most vulnerable communities. So there is some kind of um, assessment before, our, before we present these communities to our token holders to vote for, for them to be approved.
1: Super cool. I appreciate the kind of connection to the governance model there. And I think it'd be great to lean into the bigger system and how it works. Before we do that, I just want to understand the kind of size of this problem around financial inclusion. Can you give us just a quick snapshot of A, the size of this problem, and B, how much progress you guys have made towards addressing it? You know, some specific numbers I think would be great for people to understand, you know, the awesome traction that you all have already made to date.
2: Uh, sure. Uh, we can think about different kind of verticals here. Uh, we can think about extreme poverty, where almost 1 billion people live in extreme poverty, meaning that by the global standards that they live with less than $1.9 a day. Uh, now, I would say that these numbers kind of changes because dollar is kind of skyrocketing, uh, there are almost 2 billion people that don't have access to any kind of financial services. Um, If you think about even in the US, uh, that the developed country, um, about 20% 20 of the people don't have access also to a bank account. Uh, If you go to underbanked, that means that they can have access, for example, just a bank account, but not credit or other kind of financial services. The number goes above 30%, uh, even in US. So if you look at like a, and you combine all these, these problems and then there is another vertical that is the human potential that is trapped because people don't have access to finance. Um, and the, access to finance is one of the biggest limiting factors for people to not, uh, you know, like empower themselves. Um, and um, so we are... Um, Most of the people, we are now supporting uh, almost 50,000 people in 30 developing countries. Um, And most of them don't even have an ID. They don't have access to any kind of financing. This is the first time that, but they have a smartphone, even if it's a very old smartphone and very little connectivity. But that's another kind of... um, People think in the developing country that, oh, but they have smartphones, so they must be like in a good position. No, like smartphones and connectivity or communication, let's say, becomes one of the basis of any community or any civilization now. Um, I need to communicate because I need to have, even if there is only one smartphone per family. So if they need something, any urgent, medical, call someone, get information from something uh, that became kind of the um, one of the uh, basic human um, uh, necessities. Um, so just summing up like uh, almost 2 billion people are in bankers, uh, 1 billion people next in poverty. I believe that within in the next, in the, the previous, uh, like let's say quarters, that number skyrocket Uh, just because of COVID. uh, The studies at the beginning of of the COVID, the studies were saying that we were going uh, behind 10 years of improvement of, of fighting extreme poverty just because of that, because suddenly like more than 400 million people will be in extreme poverty. And now like with inflation and supply issues and access to... Uh, natural or um, foods and uh, basic necessities also kind of became harder than more expensive at the same time. Um, so in this case, uh, this is the, the kind of, for example, we are in Afghanistan supporting a lot of communities. There are a lot of women there. Um, we are in places like uh, Togo, Mali, uh, Venezuela, where there is a lot of limitations about hate and um even having a bank account or even people that they have like Bolivian uh, Boliv- uh, um, um, uh, Bolivar's, um, they like, it becomes kind of worthless. So uh, another thing is that because we are providing access to the dollar, then uh, people are also edged against not only the blockers that exist on transacting value, but also the, uh, the depreciation of the value that they have on their countries so there is a lot of kind of issues here that it will not be possible without this technology that, that that's what makes me uh a lot of excited because we don't ask for permission to just you know like it works anywhere it, if you have any kind of internet connection it works you don't need to ask for permission to anyone there are no blockers uh, it's completely borderless we can scale very fast if we thought about like having a centralized or a web to traditional um, approach, we will have to go to each country, have a subsidiary there, maybe a bank, a bank there, but then we could not even send funds to the end beneficiaries because they don't have a bank account. Um, if we try to do a QIC, they don't have an ID on that country because they are fleeing away from other countries. They are refugees and there is a lot of issues there. Um, so yeah, like it's a huge. there are, It's a combination of different problems that are kind of increasing every day. um, And that we are trying to go to the bottom and build a strong foundation. And then so these people can actually uh, empower themselves uh, to go out of the trap they are in. I love that.
0: And I, and I think one thing that's been beautiful to see too, Marco, for you is like, you know, the the framing before, you know, around poverty alleviation still remains, but just like this sort of framing around, hey, how do we really empower the entire world at the base level? You know, maybe, you know, we, I know we've touched on a, a number, you guys have done incredible work around, you know, I think, you know, you said 50,000, right, people reached. Maybe you could share some of the stories, you know, some of the ones in particular that you have found to be most meaningful around hey, we can really see how humans are being empowered in now getting access to the financial system. If there's any stories that come to mind, I think it'd be a beautiful, beautiful time to, to, to hear them and bring them into the space.
2: Um, y- yes, there are, there are a lot. And actually, if you go to our app, there are the stories that people actually share on daily lives, like photos of their kids, of the school that is being improved, of the food that now they are able to get. It kind of I like Instagram style. We are now planning to do it as an NFT so people can actually buy it and support those communities. Um, but yeah, like... I just wanted to share... Oh yeah.
1: Quick story. Yeah, somebody in the Ivory Coast who's able to open a market stall. Um, somebody who was able to pay for medical treatment in Lagos. Uh, likewise, um, yeah, a student talking about being able to, to pay for books um, and... That's
2: a very small amount of dollars. It's like sometimes like you know uh, forty cents fifty cents uh one dollar a day like uh in the depending on the places and the needs of each uh um um community, but it's like what for us is we could like one coffee for us can provide income for the family like in the other side of the world and in changing several lives and then you think like how many young Einstein, Elon Musk, and kids yeah. that are trapped in this that are not, and how much good they could be provided to the world? Because when we help someone on these conditions, they have been through all the stuff they had to, and when you give them an opportunity, not like giving an opportunity to someone in the developed country that can I can just go back to my parents' home and that's fine. No, they grab it. They actually like grab it with the all the efforts they can when they get an opportunity and they can actually thrive with some with few cents. Uh so I think that's kind of like this unbalance of you know the the, the money, all money's providers and to where it should be allocated to maximize human potential. And basically it's the human potential that drives the change in the world.
0: I, I think that's so important to touch on though. You know like what happens, you know I, I, I think like you know, if money is, if money is like water, you know, what happens when you take these places that have been previously trapped and like really nourish and allow for sort of life to take place, you know, and the local markets, the creativity, like people being able to now explore. I mean, it's beautiful because I think, you know, to, to your point, Marco, so much of the world is still untapped, you know, so what happens when we Tap into that creativity, that wisdom, those cultural insights and start to bring that out onto the, you know, the main stage. You know, what, what does that do around the climate emergency? How do we start to show up when we start to unlock and bring more people and more human potential into the mix? You know, I, yeah. I think it's so important to touch on.
2: And, and we see also like some communities that um, uh, they created classes about Web three and how to create an NFT, how to sell it how to, you know, you can take a photo and you can do this or you can apply some effects on a photo and go to this and, and sell it. And another thing is about the money is actually, like, let if we think about what is money, money is just a unit on a record and it's just a medium of exchange for goods and services. Um, and the, the the beautiful thing about this technology is that we can program money and the money is whatever two people or three people decide to transact with each other to get the service or a good right Um, so the question about what is money and and how you know like it seems that the civilization is we are a slave of some a tool or a number on a database that we created, um, and should be the other way around. Money should be like a, a tool or something to to empower ourselves and for the humanity to use for their greater good. Uh, is but it's not what what is happening. Um, based on this, it's like we are now developing what something like what we call a kind of a global community currency. Um, so actually, we can scale much more than we can scale like 100 times. As soon as we we perceive that people transacting, you know, sometimes they just need a good medium of exchange and the ability to, if needed, to cash out or cash in, if needed, but uh, but is not required. So we have been kind of also working on that and studying a lot because this technology like is not only about um being borderless and permissionless and giving ownership of the money to the people. Sometimes you just tell them, you see those words there? As long as you keep them, no one can take you the money away from you. It's yours. No bank, no <laughs> they say, oh, okay, okay, okay. I will save this. Um so yeah, I just wanted to, to to share that. It's it's amazing. It's also about like what how some lines of code and math can actually create some new systems um that 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 go away from the old traditional system
1: and i think you know touching on the story of money a little bit it's interesting that you've chosen to deploy on cello with valora which is a super easy mobile app Um, and i'd be curious to hear you unpack a little bit more about your decision to deploy on Celo. I know you guys did an IDO on Polka starter, raised right? something like 500K, um, and now there's quite a lot of volume through Celo and Valora being driven through your platform. So, yeah, just wanted to unpack that a little bit more around what were your requirements, um, what led you to decide on Celo, and what's the experience been like? What kind of ecosystems come around to support you guys on that network?
2: Um, Yeah, there are a lot of reasons why we should sell. Um, First, there is a very strong alignment on the mission. Um, Then it's mobile friendly. So it runs on any kind of old smartphone. Um, And it runs well. Um, Another thing is that they already have uh, embedded uh, stable coins. So um, and on top of that, you can pay gas with a stablecoin. What it means is that we don't need to go around and okay, you have to download this wallet and have like this a bit of Ethereum so you can pay for transactions or you know like all these complicated uh, things that could you know uh, reduce the the um, uh, the adoption rate. Um, yeah, and we have been uh, using Valora, but we are working also on our um, uh, wallets uh, because in some places, our, our wallet is kind of designed for emerging markets and aimed to be as lightweight as possible and uh, use as little as possible of connectivity, um, especially because in these places like our, a very, very old smartphone, sometimes it take some time to open the uh, the wallet um but but people can choose which whichever because you know like uh, you can have three wallets with access to the same address that's fine um and also uh, like uh, cello uh if when you go to the white paper uh, cello one of the first primitives that they wanted to design the network for it was ubi so, the possibility to reach like 1 billion people without the, the network to crash. Um, and especially on mobile, because we can reach 1 billion people in laptops, because there are no laptops. As we see like in so- Southeast Asia and, and, and Africa and some places in Latin America that they they the same way there was the, the jump, uh, we see the, uh, like there was a jump from the wire phones to cell phones so um, and that becomes now the kind of the standard having a, a smartphone in some places they, they have a feature phone so we have kind of a connection with USSD code so they can get their money in their M-Pesa but most of the places is like very old smartphone that works and they don't need to know about having cello or the native asset of whatever I have these dollars I can transact and receive that's fine and that's it like uh, the fees are like 0.001 cents or whatever in each transaction. Um, and and like that, all the team has been very, very supportive. So, um, and we are quite happy with the technology and also is EVM compatible. So we can, if we want to go multi-chain, it will become quite easy, almost like copy-paste. Um, so yeah, I think that those are kind of the main... And also like there, there are a lot there was a lot of effort from the Celo team to make sure there are a lot of local exchanges in these developing countries that accept Celo dollar. Um, and that that has been also kind of a very good way. They have also ambassadors in a lot of these developing countries. So we are very very aligned with the mission and the technologies built for our use case, basically.
1: Totally. Yeah, I think all of those specific features of the infrastructure makes sense. And I'm glad to see that, yeah, you've got $3 million flowing through the system already, which is great. And um, definitely going to be returning to the Valora app after our conversation and getting another stream of donations going. I'd love to unpack the system and how it works a little bit more. So basically, I'm a donor. I can donate to Impact Market um, that goes into a DAO treasury, a community manager, applies for a specific community on the ground in need that meets meets the four criteria that you guys set. Um, And then people within their community can then act as beneficiaries and claim on this, you know, rolling basis that expands every, you know, five minutes by every day. Just last hat question here, which is what happens when the money runs out? I could imagine a couple scenarios where a community begins receiving basic income and for whatever reason there's a reduction in donations flowing to impact market. They look to claim their um, you know, basic income in that time period and there's no money to claim. How do you guys account for this scenario? Are you seeing it often? And what considerations are made there? Because it seems like there's a risk that people become, you know, you're trying not to have people become dependent upon you, but there is an inevitable risk factor there.
2: Um, yes, yes. That's one of our biggest limiting factors to to scale. Um, and what happens... Now is that uh, the amount that each community, as the money starts to drying out, the amount of each community can request from the DAO is always being kind of limited in order to make sure that at least a little bit goes to, or all communities can request at least a little bit. Um, And we are implementing, uh, and and what happens is that people know that uh, this money is not. Printers or somehow there's a need for people to donate. Um, so when they start the community, they are kind of aware of that. It's like okay, it, it's it's kind of free money, but uh, it might not be available all the time, um, and they can see actually before being able to claim like. Um, What if they will be able to to claim um, soon. What we are doing now, we are doing two main things. The first is that uh, make sure that for each individual, like let's say that the claim amount is 50 cents, but depending on how much money is available on the community contract, then that that value can start to decrease. So at least a lot of people can, it's better for a lot of people to claim a little bit than nothing. Uh, because let's say that some of the people claim the most of the amount, and then the others cannot claim and have to wait like uh, for more money to coming into the community or to the DAO. Um, and the other thing that we have been kind of designing for a long time is this kind of community currency, so we can actually scale, and the DAO can print more based on different factors. In order, as long as as long as the amount that um, its unit uh, has it's it's enough it's it, it's a good value uh, or at least it's a value that can be useful. We try not to scale or to add more communities if there is not enough inflow of donations and with this new community currencies like depending on the value of the currency can the communities can add or re, uh, can add more uh, beneficiaries or the velocity that they can add beneficiaries can increase or not. Also a way to, to um, um, measure the supply. Other things that we are um, improving uh, for that is just like allowing you to just redirect interest. Uh, we are working with validators that they can um, um, redirect part of their earnings um, with DEXs and also with NFT marketplaces. But this is to try to solve like the inflow of funding when there is no uh, not enough for the people that's kind of they already know that all right maybe i will not be able to claim uh, today maybe tomorrow or i will not be able to claim the 50 cents that i were expecting maybe 20 cents today but the maximum amount is always the maximum amount so they know that over time they could will be able to claim let's say 500 um but, but yeah, like that's one of the biggest challenges that we are um, now working on um, in order to, if we actually want to become one of the biggest contributors to eradicate extreme poverty and empower like 1 billion people by 2030, uh, we need to solve this scalability and only with this technology. That's what I I was saying as well. It's not only about uh, basic income. Uh, That drives a lot of adoption and retention and usage, and people get used to it in these communities. But then it's not only about scaling horizontally, but also vertically, where we can provide more access to financial services, microcredits, learn and earn savings, or a kind of a pull-together kind of style of savings, uh, within each community and these other kind of financial services. Another is kind of crowd collateral lending. So I have tokens I can deposit for someone that needs a microcredits as a collateral so they can get access to a credit using, credit using collateral from people that have pack tokens or have other kind of crypto. Um, so that's also other ways that we are working on uh, in order to uh, expand and be able to scale.
1: I'd love to look into what this looks like in the future over the next seven, eight years as this grows. I think there's some interesting pieces there that you alluded to um, that have a lot of promise and potential. It reminds me of some of the conversations we had with um, the, the folks doing coffee financing uh, in Mexico uh, over at Ethic Hub. There seems to be some interesting models there, but yeah, where do you see this going? Like best case scenario, wave your magic wand—you've got huge capital flows coming in. Um, how does this look, and what's the journey to get there?
2: We see this becoming, let's say, I don't want, don't like so much to use the word the, the word bank, uh, but actually, like what could be the biggest open decentralized bank or open financial infrastructure that anyone in the world can tap into without requiring or need access or 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 ask for permission from anyone. Um, and it can start just as having access to some value, some income, regardless of what unit it represents. Eventually we want to become the at the same time, um, the biggest contributor to poverty eradication, um, and by doing that, we can become one of the biggest open financial protocols uh, out there. Um, I don't know if by doing that, if we look at what well, Matt Yunus, what he did with microcredit, maybe could be, you know, like uh, nominated for Nobel Peace Prize. But that's like just probable consequence if we can actually deliver that but uh, we see that we if eventually in ten years with this potential and the plans that we are looking into uh, you know reaching actually 1 billion people using decentralized financial system that where, at the same time, they are not just participants, they are owners of that system. Um, and at the same time, the more that system expands and grows, also the value of that ownership is correlated with that.
0: That's beautifully said, Marco. I, I think it comes back to what we were talking about before, right? which is ultimately what you're creating is a, a protocol to empower all humans around the world everywhere. And an open financial system is going to be a part of that. And it feels like you're, you're really building the foundation at every layer. To try to support that um as we sort of come to our you know, the the end of our time together marco are there any things you want to leave our listeners with in terms of call to actions how can people contribute to impact market and get involved um, on on all sides either as a donor or as a community could you share a little bit about how we can you know everybody that's listening and tuning in today can can get involved with what you guys are doing with impact market
2: yeah sure making uh, or donating to the protocol. Uh, is of course, it is one way. Fundraising for the company, but also uh, for the protocol. Uh, so anyone that wants to help us like partnerships, with uh, funding or you know like reaching to more developing countries like um, um, Somalia, Ethiopia, Lebanon, um, that are kind of places that we have been trying to enter. Congo, we have a few communities there, but still uh, quite challenging. Um, so yeah, we have also an ambassador's program. So if anyone wants wants to join and we can get them some pack tokens to participate uh, um, on, on the governance and help us scale, uh, we are, uh, as, as a protocol, we want to be open and transparent and borderless um, as a team.
1: Totally, man. So many ways to get involved. I absolutely love the work that you guys are doing. I'm so grateful that you've come out at this particular time using the power of Web3 for the most good possible. I think this direct funding stream, unconditional income to people on the ground who need it most. And really seeing what's possible when you provide people with the basic needs and looking okay. at the businesses and relationships that can flourish from that is, is so profound. And so, for anybody this, listening who wants to get involved, check out impactmarket.com. We got impactmarket underscore on Twitter and Marco, your Twitter handle, M Barbosa, um, B A R R B O S A on Twitter. So, yeah, some things to jump into. Sorry, Marco, did you want to leave people with one last thing?
2: Uh, yes. Uh, so, just, just one. Uh, Last thing about what means being refi, um, just one last thought uh, to leave here is that usually people look at refi as a lot of the planets, uh, but most than the planet, there is the people. Um, so uh, something that we have been also working on is like, so how carbon credits can actually help um, back a basic income or credit to fund these communities. So they mostly with farmers that we are exploring that is how carbon credits now that they are being on chain and being liquids uh can actually then being used to back these local farmers so they can keep uh kind of uh regenerating the planets and at the same time empowering communities so i think that this connection between people and planet is very important and as refi starts to scale, I think this loop should be also reinforced. And that's something that we have been also very strongly looking at and exploring partnerships with uh, protocols that are working on the climate, um, cl- climate change, carbon offset. So I just wanted to leave
1: it there awesome man yeah i very much agree that you guys are doing work at the heart of refi and love the idea of bringing some of the carbon and climate lens into what you're up to um hopefully this is the first conversation of many marco It'd be great to check in later on your journey very grateful to have a chance to speak with you today but recognize we've taken a good chunk of your time and uh, can't wait to see what people think of your story um thanks again man
2: all right thank you guys for having me yeah thanks marco